Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 44 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50-Day Writing Challenge, the first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we're continuing our week discussing the ending of your book. However, we're going to backtrack slightly and talk about The Rate of Revelation, which is a full book issue to think about. And it's really also about pacing. But if you don't get The Rate of Revelation right, the ending of your book is just going to fall apart. So. The Rate of Revelation is um, an idea that Jim Shepard has brought to us um, from the world of fiction and thinking about fiction. And so that's why I'm very excited to have him here today so that you guys get to hear about this idea from the person that understands it the most. Uh, Jim Shepard has written eight novels, including most recently Phase Six, The Book of Aaron, which won the Sophie Brody Medal for Jewish Literature, the Penn New England Award for Fiction, and the Clark Fiction Prize. He also has five story collections, including Like You'd Understand Anyway, a finalist for the Nationalist Book Award and the Story Prize winner. Seven of his stories have been chosen for the Best American Short Stories, two for the Pen O, Henry Prize Stories, and two for Pushcart Prizes. He's also won a Guggenheim Foundation Award, the Library of Congress Massachusetts Book Award for Fiction, and the Alex Award from the American Library Association, and he teaches at William College. Yeah, I, Jim, I'm just tired of reading about all these awards. You know, it's really... <laughs> <laughs> It gets really long, um, but thank you so much for coming um, and talking to us today. I'm very excited about this. So I'm going to turn it over to Jim and feel free to ask questions in the chat. And we'll again, just have the kind of conversation about this. But Jim, what is the rate of revelation? What brought you to thinking about this? How do you, how do you use it in your writing? How do you use it in your teaching? Uh, uh, explain to us what this actually means. Well, I think you're right, um, Michelle, it is about pacing. And uh, what I'll often hear from writers, including myself, is why is this section dragging? And it feels like this section flies right along. And, and I think the, um, the misapprehension that I'm trying to address here is the notion that um, pace has a lot to do with events, um, that if you want to move things along, have a lot of shit happen. Um, and it really isn't that as far as I can understand it. What I mean by rate of revelation is that I think we perceive uh, the, the rate at which we're learning new information. Um, and that information can be emotional, it can be atmospheric, it can be any number of things, but it needs to be new in some ways. And I think we're tracking that as we go through our work. And uh, when we start to repeat ourselves or when we start to uh, tread, in, tread water or, or do the same stuff over and over again, uh, he said, repeating himself. Um, I think at, at points like that, we feel the rate of revelation going down, even if there's a lot of action in the work. Um, in other words, if, if you know, there's a fist fight and then there's another fist fight and there's another fist fight, the rate of revelation actually drops. Right. And so the pacing feels like it's starting to slow down, even though lots of stuff is happening. Um, and right. so one of the things I'll actually uh, do with my own work, and I, I suggest my students do as well, is mark what Nabokov in uh, his afterward to Lolita calls the subliminal coordinates, um, the secret points uh, by which a work is plotted. And he doesn't, again, mean events. He means um, emotional or thematic notions that are either uh, uh, showing up for the first time or repeating themselves or com complicating themselves. And when you track those, um, you sort of make a little map of what's going on uh, in emotional and thematic terms in your work. And you can actually see when, once you track them, oh, this page is filled with stuff. This page seems to be doing the same thing uh, over and over or not doing much at all. Um, and that can be really 
uh, revelatory, as can be once you make that map, uh, the fact that some things show up on every page and some things show up only every 30 pages and things like that. Do you, so how about, how do they, how do you talk to them about making this map? Do they, do, do your students uh, get confused about this? Are there problems that they have when they're putting the map together, issues that they have that they miss that when you look at the map, you're like, well, this isn't quite, you know, you need to think about this and you also need to think about this when you kind of look at what they give back to you at, from this assignment. Well, everybody gets confused about everything, right? That's yeah. why we, <laughs> that's why, that's why we, we have, have jobs as teachers. That. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, we get confused about the same things, but really yeah. what we're doing is when we're going back through it, we're looking at those moments that seem uh, most revelatory. Um, and, and uh, we're, uh, what I'm doing is I'm just drawing a little line there. And then at some point I'm starting to connect them by um, saying, oh yeah, I'm going to put all of these under the letter A or all of these under the letter B or something like that. Um, and it takes a little getting used to, but it's also um, a, a useful way of going back through your work in macrocosmic ways and not worrying about every single line. Um, because what you're doing is you're sort of looking at the overall uh, uh, rate of rate of uh, the release of this kind of information, right? Uh, I haven't uh, done anything with the mother in 30 pages. Uh, there's this whole discussion going on between Michelle and Jim, and there's a lot about uh, her concerns about her mother and a lot about Jim's concerns about his brother, but what happened to the whole sister thing that seems to have disappeared, you know? Right. It, you're, you're mapping in some ways, uh, both your conscious and your intuitive design. And at that point, you're just being descriptive. You're not saying, oh my God, I need more mother. What you're doing is going, well, this is interesting. I thought, uh, you, you might be in fact educating yourself because you're going, well, I thought I was going to be having her be preoccupied with the mother but I notice it's gone away for quite a while. Maybe that's what I want. Um, maybe mm. in fact, my intuition is teaching me something here. Uh, or you go, no, 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 I've got to get back to the mother. And look, I've, I've left her alone for 15 pages as a subject, you know, that kind of thing. Great, so it really works as, and this is what I, I generally think about it when we, when we talk about craft, when we would talk about craft tools, it, they're basically different kinds of rulers that you can lay on your own work in order mm -hmm. to be, better see what you are doing. Exactly. Um, yeah, because I think sometimes we just don't, you know, a lot of things come up in our subconscious, a lot of things just, you know, especially if we're on a roll, things just land on the page and we don't even necessarily recognize those things. It's a really um, good point. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we all say to ourselves, we acknowledge to ourselves that we're supposed to be teaching ourselves as we go, but it's very uh, scary to let go of that, that illusion of mastery. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we all have our, our outlines and we all have our designs that we can talk to people about. And we all say to ourselves, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. I've got a, <clears throat> a masterful plan here. But really, if I find with my own work that if I don't start varying, um, uh, sort of veering away from my master plan, something's really wrong. Uh, so there needs to be uh, invention on the page. There needs to be surprise for the writer as well. And I think part of what's happening with that uh, technique I'm talking about is you're mapping uh, the ways in which, A, you've tried to succeed in what you were trying to do, but B, you're surprising yourself. Um, Right. And with uh, with students who are just starting out, it's particularly useful, I find, because they're they're sort of going, oh, my God, I didn't even realize this was my central subject in some ways. Right. But I keep coming back to it obsessively. Right. I mean, the evidence is on the page. I said I wanted to write about 
the sister's relationship, but the mother keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. And, and you know, that that's part of what allows us uh, to get at these kinds of wonderful subjects, right, is, is the way, as we all know from hanging around with uh, people who are vaguely obsessive, they will keep coming back to the same subjects over and over again. Yeah. And they and they don't see it. And that's that's sometimes what it, it's helpful for other uh, readers, because I think the things that we're most obsessive about, we don't understand ourselves. And yet it still makes it into our prose. And it might take somebody else to be like, you know, what's there's something coming up here. There's something that you you might want to spend more time with um, in order to to slow it down and, and reveal it more to the reader. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, th- uh, and I think also that, um, you know, we, we tend to think uh, that we want to get into this to get at the most difficult emotional things we can get at. But most people don't like doing that. <laughs> no, they don't. It's very uncomfortable because usually what they're writing about has something to do with themselves um, and it can get them very nervous and uncomfortable. And normally I tell my students when you get nervous and uncomfortable with your work might be when you're actually hitting gold. Yeah. Um, so, and if people are not, some people are just not emotionally willing to go there. And those are the only kinds of writers that I have a hard time working with. I, I still think that they, they can do great work, but I, unless I can get them over that hump, um, it can, it can be difficult. Also, I'm not a psychologist, so I shouldn't be doing any of this <laughs> stuff to people, like driving them crazy. Well, um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't sit down in the morning going, well, now it's time to grapple with some really, really difficult emotional problems. You know, <laughs> what I do is I fool myself, right? I mean, I try to channel my inner 10 year old and I sit down and I go, I'm going to write about something fun. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, volcanoes or dinosaurs or whatever. And then, uh, of course, inevitably, I work my way around to um, my own emotional obsessions, which are much more um, uh, difficult to deal with. Um, but I, I come at them from an angle, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also probably why we're fiction writers. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've tried writing essays and they keep, I'm like, how truthful do I need to be? <laughs> what is truth? What does yeah, this really? actually mean? Um, okay, so and you look at this for um, after, do you think about this in process or only after you've written got the first draft out? Oh, God, no, I, I, I'm when I'm writing a draft, I'm just trying to do something that feels not lame to me and feels interesting enough. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, I've got a, a little map in mind, but that's a much more rudimentary. Uh, this is just to get me from point A to point B kind of thing. Um, that kind of thing is is after I have a draft together or after I've got a, a at least a block of prose and I want to look back over it um, and, and sort of track where I'm going. Yeah. Um, but I do a much more detailed version with other people's writing than I do with my own because uh, hopefully a lot of my own stuff is in my head. Right. And it's easier also to see things sometimes in other people's writing than your own. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, so we have a comment in the chat, um, oversaturated oversaturation makes objectivity difficult, basically in terms of looking at your own work. Yeah, you become, um, I think it's Charles Baxter that talks about the necessity of defamiliarization um, of your own work, that you do have to spend time away from it in order, in order to see it properly, in order to revise it. So it's good to step away from it, yes. Um, and then Jesse is asking, can repetition be used to establish compulsive behavior? Yeah, of course it can. I mean, you want to avoid that fallacy of sort of going, well, I need to replicate on the page what I'm trying to convey, right? That, you know, it's like every so often someone will say to you uh, or say to a teacher, 
oh, but it's supposed to be boring. He's a boring character, you know, and you'll go, yeah, I got, a, I got some good news. Um, yeah. <laughs> you succeeded. Um, so, so with something like repetition, for example, um, you can suggest that fairly quickly, usually through one or two judicious moments of repetition, and then you move quickly on, right? You don't fall into that trap of going, well, he's always repetitive. So now my novel is going to be always repetitive. Right, right. right. I mean, it's like music. Um, they talk about, you know, you have a lot of repetitions in music, but by the fourth re repetition, you, you're supposed to make a change because <laughs> otherwise it's going to start you know, people are going to start killing themselves listening right. to this otherwise, piece of music. Otherwise, you have the pop version of Gregorian chants, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what are some um, uh, examples of revelations, um, either from your own work or from works that you love, that you think have 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 worked particularly well in in a book, or mm. or things even that you've had to. Um, seek after in your own process or possibly draw more attention to in your own process. That's funny. You know, when we talk about revelations in that way, we're really talking more about sort of epiphanic moments. We're talking more about, you know, revelations where it was like, you know, and suddenly Michelle realized her mother was a fallible being after all, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, when I'm talking about rate of revelation, I'm talking about all those kinds of minor um, additional understandings that make you think, oh, now I understand the character even more, right? Um, not only is she insecure about her position with her husband, but in fact, that's a kind of power for her. And she uses it with her sister. And in fact, when uh, her sister talks to her about it, there's this competition that's gone back years. You know, so you just keep adding things to an emotional and thematic understanding you already had. And they tend to be like, like a lot of emotional information in life. They tend to feel if you pull them out, well, that's not that important, right? Um, but as soon as you start lining them up, it becomes part of an, a very important pattern. Uh, and you sort of, sort of go, oh, all of these are forms of a certain kind of insecurity that the book wants to focus on or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but again, when you when you pose it like that, when you go, well, what are some of the most memorable revelations? Then they become, uh, then you think, oh, these are the really big moments, right? These are the moments when, you know, going back to my example with uh, Nabokov, you know, where Humbert Humbert says, he looks down on uh, well, well after he's lost Lolita and he looks down on uh, a playground and hears the children's voices floating up to him. And he says, reader, I just figured it out. You know, the real crime uh, is not my loss of Lolita. It's the loss it's Lolita's loss of that world. You know, she'll never be a part. Uh, and, and you sort of go, oh, OK, we've we've come to a major revelation here. Right. We have a right. We have a monstrous solipsist who's figured out that uh, you don't get to damage other people and just move on. Right. Uh, right. That's usually the way in, in fiction workshops we talk about revelation. Um, but I'm talking about it in some ways in a more mi microcosmic way. And a more implicit way that also rests in the subtext, mm. um, because it would actually be really annoying for characters to be naming their <laughs> epiphanies and their revelations after every scene. And you'd yeah, be like, I would, oh, I would really yeah. want to clarify that we're learn. It's really about what we're learning. It's not about what the character's learning. Right? right. So when I'm talking about going down a page, you're not going, so what did Billy learn today? Right. right. You're, you're doing much more. Okay. This is about this little girl. What are we learning about this little girl? Right. Yeah. Um, what are we learning about this little girl, about her relationships with others, about her relationships with the world, 
Um, and again, it rests in, um, I think the subtext more, it's more implicit information. Because mm -hmm. I think some, um, when we say information, some people might think exposition. Yeah. That and we're it's being not told. That. Yeah. And it's, it's also usually not world building, right? It's not that either. It's uh, again, it's almost always emotional information of one sort or another. Right, right. It's not X planet is right. the seventh planet from Earth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> now, given the, that um, very often in fiction, the way a, a landscape or a world is perceived has everything to do with who's perceiving it, you might well has, have part, as part of the rate of revelation you know, everywhere Michelle looks, everything seems to be dying, everything seems to be brown, everything, you know, and that's, and that's emotional information, right, the, the way expressionism works. Right. And giving the reader room, like the writer might understand those, those revelations in a certain way, but the reader might understand them very, very differently, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because it's that, that freedom that uh, we're granted with, um, with the subjective reading experience, with with what's implicit, um, and try not to control that too much um, by big announcements of information. Right. Yeah. So, have you always understood this in your process as a writer? Like, how did you come to this? I came to it actually as a teacher more than a writer, because what would happen is I would um, read somebody's work, and I would uh, read it again, and I would think what is why are the wheels falling off here what's going on and yeah. i would start to in my own pedagogic desperation i would start to go well let me make a map for myself um of, of what i think uh, the patterns are here and i would make a little map for myself and then i would talk to the students about it and then you know I, I, I'm, I'm smarter than the usual bear so every so often i would figure out that something i was doing myself i should help other people with as well and so i would go Oh, you know what? Let me show you the map I made. Um, that actually will help you. Um, and once I started doing that, then it became, oh, okay. So that's actually something they can carry away as well. Um, because remember the other thing that happens when you're going over someone, you're going over your work with somebody is you're in a little bit of a state of shock. Uh, so you don't remember everything as much as you'd hope to. And so in this case, you actually have um, something you carry away, right? You have not only the on the right-hand margins, uh, the arrows that and the letters that correspond to the kinds of uh, notions we're talking about, but then you also have from me a list of those, um, a list of those uh, uh, characteristics. You know, so it might go from, you know, A to Z or something like that, and it might say, you know, A is, um, you know. Um, you know, Michelle's uh, uh, resentment uh, with her sister. And then you see, you know, pages one, two, seven, eight, nine. And, and, and so you, you can actually track that notion through the work or you can go through the work uh, as the work proceeds and go, oh yeah, here's that resentment thing again, right? Mm -hmm. And you can say to yourself, oh, I wonder why Jim thought resentment was coming up here and sort of go, oh yeah, now I see. Or you right. can also go, you know, well, I didn't realize I was bringing it up quite so often, right? That kind of right. thing. So Cam in the chat is asking what the map looks like. And I think you, you've started answering that. So Cam is, I, Cam has been a student of mine. He loves spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> so, and he color codes everything. Boy, so is this up he, Cam's alley. Holy yeah, cow. He really wants to, what does this look like? Yeah. You do it on a spreadsheet. I hate spreadsheets. It, it uh, seems too, I, I, yeah. I wish I had a copy here that I could uh, hold up for you. Let's, um, 
But essentially, if you imagine, um, you know, the, all of the kind of editorial marks you would make on a, a work, you know, you're bracketing this to throw it out, you're putting goods here, you're circling anything that's a problem or whatever. Um, on the, uh, I'll have on the left-hand margins, all of that kind of celebration, you know, uh, I love this, uh, I really like this. And on the right-hand margins, what I'll have is either issues like, why, why is this happening or something like that? But I'll have all those arrows going down the page, um, and those arrows will have the letters corresponding to them. And that means also that at a glance, you can see, oh, Jim thinks this page is full of stuff that's worthy of notice, or wow, this page has one arrow, um, mm. because I guess I was describing his making a sandwich, and that went on for a page, um, and it didn't seem like th that was all that revelatory. Um uh, so uh, visually, it sort of uh, immediately jumps out at you. Uh, but then there's also this list uh, that comes along with it, which is, you know, here's where all the A's, here's what A means, and here's where all the A's are. Here's what B means, and here's where all the B's are, that kind of thing. And that's interesting, because I think, so I don't know if you know the writer Sandra Schofield, and she has this book called The Scene Book, and we had her on as well. Um, and she talks about the idea of consequence um, in a scene that, which is basically, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so it seems like asking yourself, ask, asking uh, the writer that you're reading or asking yourself, why is this happening, can make those revelations a little bit more conscious to yourself even if you don't want to put them on the page. Yeah, and it also gives you a little bit more permission to play, which is really important. Yeah. I think when you're when you're drafting, you know, you say to yourself, like if someone comes into the room and goes, Michelle, why are you doing that? Uh, sometimes you can answer, but very often uh, I'll uh, say something like, I don't know, it just feels like I should do this right now. Or, or I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, that allows you to uh, put stuff down that you're not entirely sure why you're doing it. Because then when you go back, you go, oh, you know what? Now I see why that is useful, why how that fits into the pattern. Or you go, that doesn't fit into the pattern. Or you go, yeah, I've done this before. Do I want to do it again? I'm doing it once more, right? Um, yeah. So uh, knowing that you're going to go ask it to account for itself later uh, means that uh, in the early going, you can go, well, let me just play around and see what happens. I can always I can always ask this to account for itself uh, somewhere down the road. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to I'm going to throw it in there and see what happens. Yeah, great. And so Anne, and so you might have already touched on this slightly, but in the chat, she's asking, it seems to me like making this map will show the writer what she doesn't need in the narrative. So eliminating unnecessary material. Yeah, I think, it, Anne, I think yeah. Anne's right there. I think there's two things you're doing. One is you're showing yourself what you've already done and don't need to do again. Right. <clears throat> the other is, and this might be even more valuable, you're teaching yourself about some of the corollary things you're doing alongside the plan you had. Um, because even the, the most complicated plans I've ever had were still sort of skeletal and oafish next to what I ended up doing, because what I ended up doing was my conscious design along with my intuitive uh, understanding that began to grow as I went along. And that meant that all sorts of stuff that was even more interesting or complicated or subtle than what I was planning uh, ended up getting in there. And even though I didn't plan it, I get credit for it because it turns out uh, that by the entire process helped spawn it. Um, but the map helps you realize you're doing it and there, therefore go back and revise it. Um, and control it and, and make it more a part of the conscious pattern. 
Right, good. And this is another question about repetition. So in general, I try to get my students away from repetition. Um, again, repetition is your, it's kind of wasted space. Um, what you're really looking for is if you're repeating something that it needs to be escalated, it needs to, to earn its place in some way. So, so Judy is asking um, if a character is gradually realizing a change in, in his or her, their own feeling toward another, is that good or bad repetition? Well, gradual realization of, of something else would be new information, I would think, right? Um, because, yeah. it's, because by definition, it's gradual, right? So you're like, wow, Michelle thought, I guess in a, in, in a way that I never understood, I really resent my mother. And then it's like, wow, I, I resent her even more than I realized. And then <clears throat> and I resent her because of these things that I haven't even thought about. And <clears throat> all of that is new information. What you're trying to avoid is, you know, Michelle resented her mother. And then five pages later, by the way, she really resented her mother. Um, and then five pages later, she really resented, you know, like, hey, you told me that, right? Yeah. It's not your job. Um, one of the things I'll tell my students is it's not your job to make sure that nobody could possibly miss the point. It's your job to continually enlarge your point. Um, and so there's a real anxiety sometimes uh, with, with writers that uh, I better go back and make sure that nobody could possibly miss this point. Um, re also, repetition is a way of not pushing yourself as a writer, right? Right. Um, because it's you're not safe. you're not learning anything. You're just um, preaching at that point something and, you think you already know. Yeah. And so, notice you also you need those points of graduation, uh, Judy, as you're saying, gradually realizing because if you're if if you might be leaping towards oh this guy's an asshole um, or oh you know and 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 characters don't. I think we, I think people, humans in general resist um, sudden changes or realizations because we're too locked inside our own understanding of the world. So to realize that someone is, is a different way than we thought or something, it's going to take a bunch of small revelations <laughs> to get us there. And if you make that leap over, we're not gonna trust that in the character. Yeah, we also, um tend to be uh, tyrannized by that epiphanic notion that if that if, if we only had information, if we only had understanding, uh, we would change our behavior completely. And anybody who's ever suffered through family life knows that's just not the way it works, right? right. Um, you, you know, uh, you're always saying, you know, Michelle, you're doing that thing again. And Michelle goes, oh my God, that's so true. And then she does it again, right? right. So uh, it helps to be armed with information and characters, uh, it is useful when characters learn things about themselves. But the idea that once they learn things, they're never going to act the same way uh, is unfortunately not the case. Uh, so right. that that sort of enforces a kind of gradual thing, right? Because <coughs> mom learns that she shouldn't do that. And then she has to learn it all over again, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in this, I've seen you ask this in other um, interviews. If you were to map one of your own published novels right now, how many arrows of revelation do you think would have on a given page? <laughs> but what I what I want to push this question more to is, can there be too many revelations? Can um, there be too many revelations? Because um, there's, I mean, so, there's I no like, way you can figure out how many revelations would be on a page, right? I think, that, I think that really comes back down to how we're defining revelations. If we're yeah. defining it in the traditional way, then of course there could be too many revelations, right? You're having characters go, Eureka, Eureka, I never understood this. You never understood that. 
again, I'm defining it in this case in, in a different way. I'm saying I should be learning something uh, every time I read a sentence. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be emotional information. But again, what, what affects the pace is the sense I have of, wow, you know, that, that page was just astonishing with uh, one uh, piece of information that is useful after another. Um, and again, that, that's somewhat separate from world building. You know, I didn't realize the sky was blue. It's much more like, wow, what a, what a walk through of a complicated emotional situation. Yeah. Um, and in that case, um, you know, not only uh, should every sentence be doing something, I think you could argue every sentence should be doing multiple things. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we, we're also focusing on endings this week. Um, and so a question in the chat is, how can the rate of revelation or getting it wrong bungle with your ending, not allow you to reach the ending that you need to? How is it? Do you see it connected at all? In terms yeah, of it is connected. Ending? I mean, I really think of endings as having to, in a, in a very important way, enlarge our understanding of what the central issues were. Um, they don't have to settle a character's situation and they don't have to enlarge the character's understanding necessarily, but they do need to enlarge ours. And so yeah. what that enables is a, a situation that isn't resolving itself or a situation that is static can still feel to us in its final gestures, oh my God, I, I now see that from an entirely different angle, or now I understand that in an entirely different way. And that in a crucial way feels like movement to us perceiving it, even as it's not movement to the characters inside it. Uh, they might be saying, you know, we're stuck in the same dynamic we've always been stuck in. And the reader's going, yeah, but I never understood this about that, you know? Yeah. And I do think we oftentimes get stuck in this idea, even when we talk about emotion of, your reader's supposed to feel what the character is feeling. They're supposed to understand what the character is, but that's actually not true. That, yeah, that the reader has separate feelings for, for, from the character, separate experiences, separate understandings from the character. And you need that separation in order for the to work to, to work um, in, in order for it to have true tension. All right, I'm gonna to have to let everyone go and get back to their desk. Jim, you were fantastic. Thank you so much for helping us through this. Um, tomorrow, we're gonna to talk about the denouement, um, as well as Donald Barth's idea of, of the denouement called the complexified equilibrium. And he made up that word complexified, I think. And that's <laughs> the way Bartome runs. Um, if you support what we're doing, please share and follow and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast on Substack or other podcast platforms. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Jim, thank you so much. Uh, what are you going to do for the rest of your day? Are you writing today? I'm going to write and then I'm going to annoy my beagles. Excellent. Excellent. That sounds like a plan. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And thank you so much, Jim. Everyone have a good writing day. How you sift for a love in the sand.